This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Uncommon Energy Podcast. My name is Trainer Chip Ritchie and I'm joined here as always by my fellow co-host Azul GG. What's going on Azul? How we doing man? Yeah, what's going on, Chip? Uh, doing good. Been super busy the last week or so. Uh, trying to catch up with streams, but had a ton of of coaching. A lot of people trying to get ready for Indiana Regional, so I've been really busy with the coaching. Um, if you're interested in my coaching, uh, I do coach. Check me out over at Medify.com. Flash is a little GG, I think. Um, but, you know, it's been good overall. Got Been trying to test for Indiana. I really haven't done a ton of testing, I would say. But... Um, I think that's also kind of like I didn't expect to get a whole ton of testing done. I've kind of narrowed down my picks for what I think I would play, but we'll talk more about that later. And then, uh, yeah, just been uh, you know doing the good old content grind. What about you? How was the rest of your Euro trip? It was awesome, man. Yeah, it was a great time. So, yeah, I just got back yesterday from the Europe trip. Obviously, last week we recorded. Uh, it was a little more scuffed than I realized it was going to be. <laughs> I didn't quite realize how bad my audio sounded. Uh, when we tested it before I left, but it, it was not the best. So we apologize for that. But thanks for hanging out and still listening to last week's episode. And also, yeah, I saw what you did there, Azul, with the face cam on uh, <laughs> the last episode. Azul did not tell me he was going to be doing that for anyone wondering. So that was a, a fun little surprise when I opened up the video after it went live and was seeing how things sounded and looked. But yeah, it was a good time. Uh, my wife and I went to... London and to Paris in addition to Frankfurt as well for the international championships, obviously. So yeah, we just did some fun touristy things. Um, we really had a great time in both cities. London was awesome. It's just really cool to me uh, in, in both, in all of these places really, but mostly like it was really evident in Paris um, just like how this modern city is built around all this super old architecture, which is always really cool to me. Cause like here where I live in Raleigh, it's like just, you know, big square buildings <laughs> downtown, yeah. uh, and then like the suburbs. Right. Um, whereas in Paris, you know, we were in the city and it's just like, you know, these buildings that were built before our country even was founded are, is like what they're, um, what their city is built around. It's like you look down a side street and it literally looks like a movie set. And that's just like the everyday <laughs> life. It's pretty wild. Uh, so I always yeah. love stuff like that. Love traveling and, and seeing new places and uh, just experiencing what other people's day-to-day -day lives are like. It was, uh, it was definitely really cool. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, I really, uh, I love London from the times I've been there. Never been to Paris, but I would love to go there as well. And it reminds me, like, I'm also from Boston and there's like old buildings and, uh, you know, kind of stuff like that as well. So it reminds me a little bit of, of Boston when I went to, to London. But yeah, London's super cool. And hopefully get the chance to go to, to other places like Paris and stuff. But um, got a lot of Pokemon stuff to talk about today. Absolutely. So we're going to be covering Indy and I don't know how to, is it Joinville? That's Joinville, the way it, it yeah, reads. I believe it's Joinville. Joinville. Uh, regionals coming up. There's not only the the uh, North American Indiana regionals, but there's also the Joinville regionals in Latin America. I'm not sure where it is. It's in Brazil. Um, 
It's in Brazil. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so we're gonna talk about that. And there's also the Bilbo uh, special event. That's an I, I didn't know about that either. Happened. Well, I knew about the Latin American regionals. We talked about that last week. I didn't know right. about Bilbo happening. I didn't know it was this weekend. Yeah, it's um, crazy. So- it's a huge weekend for Pokemon with the two regionals and the special event happening in Spain. Pretty yeah. wild. Literally pretty much everyone except for Australia is going to be playing. <laughs> Unless any of the Australian players are making their way over to, to Bilbo or Joinville. I don't know about any of them coming to Indiana, but I don't think there is. So, uh, so yeah, only the uh, only the Australian players have to sit out uh, another week or two, I think, until they have their next regional. And then uh, we got some cards, some new cards leaked from that Pokemon Go set. I think people are overhyping one of the cards. The rest of them kind of look bad, but we'll see. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. Mewtwo look like it might be okay. And of course, always going to be guessing the flavor text every single episode. This time I'm picking a flavor text for Chip to guess. And I picked one that I think there's a solid chance Chip could get it. Um, Let's go. I went with one that sounded a little tricky, but I was like, there's a solid chance that Chip could get this one here. So I think it'll be interesting. And then um, we did a little bit of another Twitter Q&A leading into this one as well. If you guys want to get in on those, we need you to respond to the tweet that we tweet out. So go follow us on Twitter. And we're going to tweet out a tweet sometimes being like, yo, if you want to ask us some questions on the podcast, we don't do this every podcast episode, mm-hmm. especially before the big events. We sometimes will tweet out and be like, yo, give us your questions for this upcoming uh, podcast episode. So make sure you follow us on Twitter at Uncommon Energy. Is there an underscore in there? Uncommon underscore energy. Okay. Yeah, I forgot. Yeah. Follow <laughs> us over there so that way you can get your questions into the podcasts. Um when we do uh, look for questions. Yeah, I was and, so uh, mad when I was making the Twitter for the podcast because I wanted it to just be <laughs> at Uncommon Energy. And the person who has the username at Uncommon Energy literally made their account in like November of 2021. So like just a few months <laughs> before we started the podcast. I was like, are you kidding me? Like, how does this happen? What is the chance of that? But Do yeah, un- Uncommon underscore energy over on Twitter to join in on the Q&A's. I think the Q&A's are a great way for us to interact with listeners because, you know, we really get to just respond to the exact things you are thinking. And a lot of the questions are things that we would naturally talk about anyway. Like, you know, for example, a big one this week was, should I be playing Manaphy in my deck? Should I be playing Manaphy? So we were obviously going to talk about that regardless. But then there's also a lot of questions that I think we wouldn't have necessarily talked about. So we'll get to into some of those. We're not going to answer everything, obviously, because there was like, I think like almost 40 questions total posted on the tweet so not everything but we'll answer a bunch of them uh and the the big ones that really stuck out to us so let's go ahead and hop into it starting by looking at the indianapolis joinville and bilbo tournament uh metas for this weekend so indy regionals joinville regionals and then the bilbo special event so three different tournaments three different regions and I guess the first thing we should establish is will the meta really be that different between these three tournaments or are we at a point where the game is so there's like so much information online that regional metas aren't necessarily as big of a thing as they used to be. Cause I definitely feel like that was a big factor in the past was like how metas shifted between different regions. But now are we just at a point where like all the information is out there. So the metas are going to be really, really similar. I don't know. That's a good question. Like, is like for the span of like the four weeks in a row we had of regionals, was that was that regional meta differences, or is that just the meta developing throughout? You know, the development of the meta. And it's hard to tell sometimes because um, I don't. I don't even know if we got the numbers for EUIC yet from 
Shemansky on the mm-hmm. on the breakdown or RK9, but I don't know what the I'm sure Mew is the most played deck, <laughs> and then and then Arceus is it's kind of weird because like Arceus if you put them all together probably would be the most played deck right if you put all the Arceus variants together but mm-hmm. you don't do that because they're so different especially when you look at stuff like Arceus Duraludon that plays so vastly different than other Arceus variants. But yeah, I don't know. Is it just like the evolution of the meta more so than anything? Um, it could be a little bit of. Yeah, I don't know. Is there like a real regional influence going on? And it doesn't feel really like it. Like, I think one example was like, um, I forget who it was who got, you know, top four at the Australian tournament with the the Inteleon Arceus Dark Box deck. And then on in Salt Lake City, the week after, we saw that similar, but it was always oh, Liverpool the week. No, no, Salt Lake City. Salt Lake City yeah, the Salt week Lake after. Yeah, was right after, yeah. Was we saw the, you know, Nick Moffat and Ian Robb. And I think they were working on that list before australia i could be wrong on that so it's like we saw like similar decks pop up in those regards like was it like a, a meta evolution they take that deck and evolve onto it i don't know i don't know it, it feels weird i don't think there really is i think a lot of it is kind of maybe just kind of the trends of what the top players decide to bring is gonna have gonna have the most you know it's gonna be the most successful decks that's kind of it more than anything i think we saw that a lot a big impact of that at salt lake city specifically definitely yeah and i really i i kind of agree with what you said of like it feels more like it's just the meta naturally developing as opposed to a regional uh, variance or anything like that. Yeah. So I, I think that it really is just kind of, you know, going to evolve week to week to week. So I wouldn't be surprised if the results from these three big tournaments are really similar as far as meta share and then also as far as what decks you know, make up the day two or the top 32 field and even potentially the top eight field or uh, top eight, you know, breakdown as well. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's a lot of similarities, but, you know, there's variance in Pokemon, right? And there's also variance in what decks people choose to bring. There's there's always a chance for some curveball like Sylveon VMAX to unsuspectingly make a, a run or something like that. So who knows? Really anything can happen. And that's part of what makes Pokemon fun, right? Uh, so I'm excited to see what uh, the meta will look like between the three regionals. But I think just for uh, simplicity's sake through the rest of this tournament, so or through the rest of this podcast, so we're not referring to all three tournaments every single time we talk about one, <laughs> we're pretty much mostly going to be focusing on Indianapolis because that's where yeah. Azul and I will both be. Azul's going to be going as a player. It was just announced today that I'm going to be there as a commentator, which I'm excited about. The regional streams are a lot of fun. And I'm very grateful that Pokemon keeps wanting to bring me out to them. So thanks to Pokemon for that. Uh, So yeah, we are both going to be there. So that is what the focus of our discussion today is going to be on. Will be Indianapolis. But because I think that the metas are going to be really similar at Bilbo and at Joinville, I think you can definitely take any advice or any, you know, thoughts that we throw out there around indianapolis and apply them directly to the other two tournaments pretty easily yeah for sure so but go go ahead (laughs) (laughs) i was trying to leave a little pause for you to hop in and take it away but okay no i thought you had something else you were going to say afterwards no no we're ready to to talk start breaking down some decks and talk about some of the most popular decks, the decks that we think will be the most popular. And I think the most talked about deck heading into this tournament weekend is without a doubt, Rapid Strike Urshifu VMAX. And I think it's just the, the fact that it was so dominant by such a small number of players in EUIC is really gonna affect how people look at it moving into these 
tournament weekend this weekend where you're going to have a lot of people who are really prepared for that matchup, who are testing that matchup a lot this week. Um, and it's also probably going to increase in play a good bit because Rapid Strike Urshifu is a pretty easily accessible deck. It's a pretty cheap deck. People can build it for very low cost. There was a league battle deck around Rapid Strike Urshifu. Um, which includes a 2-2 Urshifu line, which is all you need to play the deck at this point, the way that the current lists have been built. So while it wasn't a huge percentage of the EUIC meta, it absolutely dominated the tournament. I think we would both expect it to have a much larger meta share for this tournament weekend than it did leading into EUIC. Yeah, definitely. Well, I don't know how how popular it'll still be. I probably put it on like Whimsicott's level of popularity, but maybe Whimsicott will be more popular. Whimsicott's been super popular in online tournaments mm -hmm. recently. Um, like top, you know, it's like top four, top five, top five most played, but it's like, you know, the top three deck or three of the top four decks all have like 20. It's like very close to just being almost the most popular deck in the tournament. So in the, in the online tournaments, Whimsicott's been super popular. Maybe Urshifu won't get quite that popular. Urshifu has been pretty popular in online tournaments as well, but its win rate has not been very good, but that's because the deck is so hard to play yes, yes. in comparison to a lot of the other decks, and it doesn't have the safety net of Mew, where Mew is so powerful. It doesn't matter if you make like 10 mistakes with the deck throughout uh, throughout your game. You can still just win in the same way you would win as if you were draw if you played perfectly. So it doesn't kind of have that safety net for it. Um, so Urshifu is a lot, and I think actually we'll see a pretty, pretty bad uh, win rate for Urshifu at what's it called Indiana as well because I think it's almost like underestimated how hard it is to play the deck and I think a lot of people are playing it and just they just don't quite have a grasp fully on how to play it but they're just yeah. playing it because it is the deck right now um and I think that's gonna hurt quite a few people from picking to choosing to play it to be honest like I'm I really like the deck I've been playing it a lot recently come up with my own kind of brew on it where I've taken like a lot of the ideas from a lot of the top eight lists and put them into my own list and uh, I really like it, but I'm not super confident with all the lines and stuff. And it's a pretty hard deck to play turn to turn. So yeah, I'm not super confident in that uh, I would want to bring it to the tournament. But it might end up being my choice because I, I do enjoy the deck a lot. And it's got outs to pretty much everything, to be honest. So it's, it's definitely one of the... May, it might just be the best deck in the format, to be honest. Now that I've kind of put more time with it, I feel like it might just be the best deck in the format. Because there's just so much you can do with the deck so consistently. Yeah, it's very good. But like you said, incredibly hard to play at the, you know, highest level. And I think overall, like, I, I think because of that, you know, we could see a situation where a lot of top players don't choose to play the deck because it is like kind of this big thing. It's now on people's radar. It was under the radar for EUIC, which I think anytime a powerful deck like that is under the radar, it is a super good play for a big tournament, yeah. especially in the hands of great players, which is what we saw at EUIC. And, so now that it's like kind of more on the radar, it becomes less of a good play. So maybe some of the top players will lean away from it. And I think if the top players that, you know, played it at EUIC, you know, the people who come to mind, like Isaiah Bradner, uh, Justin Bakari, Rahul Reddy, uh, that whole crew of players who played it and made day two. Um, I think if they choose to play this deck, I wouldn't be surprised to see one or two of them in top eight again. But if, yeah. you know, a top level players like them or, you know, whatever other testing group uh, of top level players, if not a lot of people are playing it, I wouldn't if not a lot of top level people are playing it, I wouldn't be surprised to see it not in top eight at all because it yeah. is that hard to play correctly and 
uh, you know, it, with just a week's testing time, I don't have the confidence in just like the general player field to have spent the adequate amounts of games needed in order to fully grasp all the different lines of play you have every single turn with that deck. Yeah, I think that'll be the outcome. I think there will be quite a few top players uh, piloting the deck. I would yeah. be, I would actually be surprised if Justin, and uh, I know Isaiah will be there. I guess I don't know if Justin's going to Indiana. I think he is. Um, I would be surprised if they didn't play it again. Um, it definitely seems like a deck that Bradner is super confident in. I would yeah. be surprised to see Bradner not playing it. I'm sure making some adjustments for you know expected changes in the meta and so on. Uh, but yeah, there was a huge difference in like all their lists. Um, I think Gustavo brought the list with the best overall Mew matchup. Having that extra option of the Maltrace V is a huge deal. Mm -hmm. And then there were some <laughs> some some cards in there and some of them that I wasn't a huge fan of, like the Eldegoss and Pedro's list seems a little sus. I never really tried it out, but uh, I never saw Pedro set it up either. So <laughs> I don't know if I if I like the look of the Eldegoss. Well, but I then think there's that Eldegoss like, the... like literally lost Pedro one of his games on stream. Just like the fact that it was an Eldegoss line as opposed to a second energy search. Like if I remember correctly in one of his top four matches, um, there was a situation where if he, he had to use his first energy search early in the game, never yeah. got to establish Eldegoss, and the, in the late game was one energy away from being able to pull off a play to come back and win that game, but didn't have access to it because the first energy search had gotten used and Eldegoss never got set up. So if, if there was just a second energy search in the deck, that yeah. play maybe would have been there. And obviously, I, I'm sure Eldegoss got used throughout points of the tournament and it was course, like yeah. I, i'm sure that you know pedro got value from it but is it more likely that you're going to be able to set up this stage one line or just be able to use a second energy search yeah and especially with people like kind of knowing the weaknesses of the deck a little bit better like marnie's just really really good like how are yeah. you you got to find the little green guy the big green guy you know that means you're not getting sobbles that means <laughs> yeah, you're not getting yeah. drizzles you might well, i think one of the reasons they Italian. liked the goss like the eldegoss line so much was because of gossip floor because gossip yeah, floor is cool. effectively a fifth keep calling pokemon right because yeah. but it can get you out anything which i guess there's not really anything else you want to get out besides rapid strike pokemon but um Manaphy. yeah yeah manaphy nowadays exactly so and yeah that's another you know adjustment from uh the last tournament is like, I think that most of the Urshfu lists will probably have Manaphy in it for the mirror, especially because we saw how Tord just dominated the rapid strike Urshifu mirrors <laughs> throughout the entire weekend because he had Manaphy yeah. and no one else did. <laughs> uh, Tord definitely made the best meta call, I think in that aspect. Um, so yeah, I, I, there's, you know, really four different lists in cut because, uh, there's five Urshifus, Justin and Isaiah were playing the same 60. We had Pedro's list, Tord's list, and Gustavo's. And they all had their differences. Gustavo with the Moltres also had some interesting tech cards that no one else had, like Crobat V, Piers, Energy Switch, and Energy Retrieval. All four cards that Gustavo played that no one else had in their list, and then, you know, the other players, there was differences like Snorlax versus Mew from Celebrations. There's the, um, you know, the Manaphys that I expect most people should be playing now. So where do you kind of land on Urshifu? You said you've been testing a list that's like a combination of the things you liked the best from everyone else's lists. Kind of what of these different tech options that you have, these like, you know, 50 you know, third through 60th slot cards. What, what are some of the ones you have really kind of landed on that you like the most? So I haven't tried Octillery at all, and I think it probably just isn't 
a viable choice anymore because like the mirror match, I think everyone's gonna be playing Avery. Um, so to put artillery down and your mana fee is gonna be tough. Um, and also that's like a, it's like not as hard to set up the artillery because you do have to keep calling normally, so it's not too hard to set it up. So it's not too expensive to try and get online, but it just kind of feels like it's not necessary because you also just don't need to find your rapid strike energy that aggressively. Like we saw. Justin and uh, Isaiah, they didn't play a way to find Rapid Strike Energy besides right. Raihan, right. which everyone plays. Um, and now that I played with the deck more, I, that feels fine. You don't really need an aggressive G-Max Rapid Flow. I think maybe the Piers is worth including to have yeah. the option, but I don't think Artillery is necessary. I think Artillery is kind of wasted space. because um, But when you the turns you need the Rapid Strike Energy, you don't usually need to do too much else besides just get the Rapid Strike Energy and G-Max Rapid Flow. Or you could just like find a different play that's just as good. So, um, the yeah, and I think that was one of the things that Gustavo made great use of the peers with is that, yeah. you know, it, it's not a bench spot and it's a way to find your rapid strike energy. And it's also a way to draw you cards because it can get the Crobat V that he played. So I think like if you want to play peers, I would also try to find a way to put Crobat into the deck, to be honest. Yeah, that almost feels like it's like not necessary, but it almost kind of feels like it, it does. just goes like, it hand can't... in hand. It like fits yeah. too well together and it like almost feels necessary. It's also really good at like setting up Maltrace though, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Just get Maltrace plus dark energy. Mm -hmm. It almost kind of like feels like a second Sonya in that regard. Whereas like Sonya would get you your Maltrace or get your dark energy. The Pierce is like a halfway point. You get your dark energy plus a Maltrace. It's like Roseanne's research, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Literally, it is like the Roseanne's research. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then uh Metachamp. I haven't been playing Metachamp or Quick Shooting and have not ever ran into like a situation where I'm sure I could have set up board states for Yoga Loop, sure. but it just feels I would the double shady dealings in Talion is just really good. Like you don't want to prize that thing. That thing literally is your deck. If you prize it, that's bad. <laughs> <laughs> like so, I've kind of gone the Gustavo route of that. But I'm not playing the Amaltrace V. I'm not playing the Crobat. So I kind of went. I took like everything, everything that each list chose not to play. I also don't play in my list. Like I don't play the Artillery. I don't play the Yoga Loop stuff. I don't play the Crobat Ultra Maltrace V. I don't play the Crobat V. I play one Snorlax still, and then one Mew. I no, uh, no Pissimian anymore, I feel like, right? That was a card that I no. think Isaiah and Justin still had that the rest of the yeah. lists had cut. Yeah, so they could still y Yoga Loop Genesex because of that. Right. But I don't even know if that's like a a necessary option. It's never, like for me, it's just never come up where it's like, oh, I need to be able to Yoga Loop. Um, I'd rather just have like, you know, the extra Maltrace. And I've actually been like, went a little bit higher on my energy count as well because just like finding dark energy sometimes can be kind of tough. And also I've, the water energy for the aqua bullet i think is like your answer to whimsicott so like if you're looking for the tech for whimsicott i think it's just literally having access to aqua bullet yeah interesting yeah and speaking of whimsicott that's the next deck that we need to talk about because it obviously i think uh even though urshifu was the most popular deck in top eight i feel like whimsicott was definitely the surprise of the tournament because it made it to finals and it was like a, yeah. a pretty much unknown deck no one has ever succeeded at a major tournament with whimsicott previous to this so uh so shout out once again to frank persick for coming up with a good solid list and speaking of which is there anything you should really change from frank's list if you wanted to play whimsicott and also where do we feel like it sits i don't know that we could call it a tier one deck it's definitely been really popular online. It definitely feels to me like it fits in that tier two category pretty well. Yeah, I think so. But it's like also feels like it can kind of beat everything. And also there was a top eight placement at Sao Paulo. Give them a shout oh, out. Oh, yes, as well, for sure. Fast. For yeah. sure. Quite a different list, um, though, with like the Arceus yeah, versus Arceus. 
uh, Bieberell and just like Frank's list is like very, very straightforward. Yeah. I mean, I think there was like, I mean, Whimsicott in general, I think is probably tier two. It's hard to almost say it's not tier one though. Cause I feel like there's like, especially now that Malamar is kind of on the downswing, uh, Rapture like Malamar is not really a deck right now. Um, it's hard for me to not say that Whimsicott's not tier one. Cause you can beat Mew, you can beat Arceus, you can beat Urshifu, like you can beat all these decks, and none of the matchups feel unfavorable. It almost feels like they're all 50 50s. So, for the current shape of the meta, I would almost say that Whimsicott is probably a tier one deck, especially if we're putting Urshifu as tier one alongside Mew. Mm-hmm. I think maybe Whimsicott gets in there as well. I haven't played enough of it to know if it's like maybe it's just a little bit too inconsistent for like it to fit the tier one. Like that, it it loses too much to literally everything because of inconsistencies. So that's the one thing I've come up with it. And we saw that from Frank a couple times on stream, you know, in the finals, as well as up against uh, Gabriel Smart in round six or seven, I think, in day mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like, you know, it comes up a little bit. And I've had that experience in my testing as well. And as far as like, you know, changes I'd make from Frank's list, uh, I definitely cut the Avery's uh, for sure. Like as far as like things I would change moving forwards, but everything else is, I think, pretty solid. Yeah, something I haven't tested this yet, but I want to try it out. Uh, and this might just be like not that good, but I kind of want to put four Cramomatics in this deck because <laughs> you don't have anything to discard. You with have them. plenty of stuff to discard because there's a lot of inst- you want to play heavy fan for all the Arceus decks, but if you're not using your fans, um, they're useless and unburnable cards. <laughs> and so now they become just things that clog your hand up and you can't draw cards with Octillery. I literally watched a game. Uh, it was Finn Lynch versus Zach Cooper in the field of EUIC where Finn had Bieberell in play for like three turns with a totally unplayable hand was just playing off of his top deck every single turn. Uh, and it was just clogged up with some bad item cards and like useless things. Could never get down below five, and so was just kind of holding on to the hand because he knew Zach didn't play Marnie, and um, you know, but had like you know some extra air balloons in there. You know, your extra exp share. You really only need one, right? And it's like some, and sometimes it, it, having the Cramomatic is a consistency out in theory right to getting you an energy drop to getting you the exp share you need on the bench to getting you your you know whatever you might need and there's plenty of item cards because you don't also you, you don't have to play uh crushing hammer every single turn crushing hammer is really good yeah. for like the early game but once you set up crushing hammers aren't as good <laughs> as they you know would be in the early turn so it's like you can cram a that away it thins your hand down two cards even if you flip tails so you can draw more with your beaver l so I don't know. It's yeah. just a, a thought I've had. Haven't really put any testing into it, but th- th- I agree. Like the consistency is probably the main issue with the deck because, and it's not like inconsistent. It's just clunky. Like you're 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 kind of just playing off of that top deck a lot of the time. And if you're not playing a supporter card for turn and you can't pair your hand down for Bieberel, you're just kind of reliant with what you got. Yeah, yeah. I think it's like the main issue with the deck for sure, but. I think it's pretty solid. Yeah, probably it probably fits in tier two. Maybe I'm trying to push a little bit hard for tier one, but um, because you don't like you don't have like a ridiculously powerful matchup against anything, you can kind of beat everything though. So the right, deck does right. feel solid, but you are a little bit reliant on you know drawing the path to the peak or the fan of waves or the crushing hammer and getting heads immediately. So as soon as you whiff those, and then the Arceus player gets the turn two Trinity Nova with their DTE um then you're gonna get in trouble right so if you and if the mew player gets another turn with their dte 
uh, or one of their fusion strike energies in play sticks, and then they get to attach their basic energy or, or Elsa Sparkle again. Then all of a sudden it can snowball really, really quickly out of your control. So like you need all those things to land. So it doesn't feel like a deck with a ton of, you know, the skill expression, right? When you especially when you compare it to something like the Urshifu deck, there's so many choices, so many options. Your opponent has to worry about so much. Wimscott's kind of like attach, attach, go, get some crushing hammer heads, you know, find my fan of waves in time, right? And then just yeah. roll from there. So um and yeah, now that's out of the bag a little bit more, I think a lot of people are going to be more prepared for the matchup. So people aren't going to be making the mistakes when they're playing their Arceus deck and they go first. They'll attach their basic energy, not their DTE. All those little things that can add up to, you know, sneak victories because people just don't know what the heck your deck's doing. All of a sudden, everyone knows what your deck's doing. And especially because everyone's playing against it online right now because of how popular it is. Like, uh, it'll definitely lose that kind of surprise factor as well. But uh, I still think it's solid even with uh, all those things, I guess, going against it. I don't think... And, and, but another thing about it, though... No one's really teching for the matchup. You know what I'm saying? So, you, and it's hard to tech for it as well. So maybe that's the reason. But yeah, I don't think anyone's really teching for Whimsicott overly. So you're not going to run into any like hard techs. You're just like, well, I guess I lose. You're not going to be like the Urshifu deck and run into someone playing like Don Sparse Man, if you Hoopa V and like that. Right, even, though, right. even though when I've ran into that, it's actually not that bad for uh, Urshifu. But, you know, it's a lot harder than just hitting Arceus and Teleon. Well, speaking of, you know, those different techs in Arceus, this is one of the biggest questions we got on Twitter because I think there's obviously a lot of Arceus decks out there and it's the deck in the format that it feels like has the most variety, right? Because you can just, you know, it's colorless. You can put it with so many different things and there's obviously so many different tech options you can have. And heading into this weekend, which Arceus variant do we feel like is the best choice is it still Arceus Intellian, just kind of the straightforward list? Do you still like the Arceus Dark deck that we were both really liking a good bit heading into EUIC? It didn't really have the best results. I think Alex Wilson got top 64 with a list that was really similar to the list you and I had kind of talked about. Um, I don't know. Which, which Arceus variant do you like the best right now? I don't even know. There's just so many. I still, I think I still think I enjoy playing Arceus B-Barrel the most. And I think if I play Arceus at Indiana, it'll be the Arceus B-Barrel just because I enjoy playing it. I don't mm -hmm. think it's like the best, maybe. But uh, I think Arceus Inteleon is is maybe the one that I think is maybe the worst. I feel like the deck just doesn't have enough options to keep up throughout games. Um, and I think probably struggles the most now up against the Urshifu deck. Because they can Urshifu for a while with Cheryl and Palpat and all that. And then they eventually get to the Moltres that one it KOs Arceus. So I think, uh, yeah, just like the playing water build. I think you need, like, you need the Hoopa V. And if you play the Dark Package with Moltres, you get Hoopa V in there as well. So, like, you get all those options. So I think I think the Inteleon build is just too linear overall. It's like too, it doesn't have enough options to win games consistently, I think, in the, the from what I've, like, seen and played with it as of late. But I think like the, the the you know the Maltrace package builds or even the ones with like a little bit of a lighter Arceus like the the Nick Moffat Ian Rob type deck I think that one's still pretty solid as well like there's just so much of it it's just and Duraludon's getting better as well like Arceus Duraludon's becoming a way better deck as well there's just there's a lot of good ones uh, and you need to tech for Urshifu in some way though for sure unless you're playing like Arceus Duraludon a really interesting deck that actually did pretty well at EUIC that was not something that was on a lot of people's radars going into the tournament was Arceus Lycanroc. There was quite a few people playing it in day two, and one of them ended up finishing 20th place 
Joshua uh, Huggard with the Arceus Lycanroc. And it still played Crobat VMAX, so it was like a split of darkness energies and fighting energies. I don't know if the other lists were like similar to this one or what, but yeah, like I mean, Lycanroc, how do you feel about that kind of option? I would almost prefer having something like that compared to just the Intellion because it like, just gives you, there's like more stuff you can do with it, I feel like. I don't know. I feel like that just like, Everyone already has everyone has done sparse now, so you're just kind of yeah, putting a three prize Pokemon in play at that point. And I don't even know like, um, yeah. I mean, you still got to find room for stuff like uh, and this list specifically. I'm looking at the list that you're looking at. You know, it has the has the Hoopa mm-hmm. already, so they were prepared for the Hoopa ahead of its time. Uh, <laughs> they are with the for the Urshifu ahead of the ahead of the wave, so um, they're ready to go. But the Lycanroc itself, I'm not like overly. Uh, intrigued by the list is definitely less consistent than something like that we have been big fans of which like you know one of the big things that both of our lists uh or what we kind of play towards was like having a good a good mew matchup um with like heavy pats of the peak and stuff like that yeah have your marnie count to be to be more aggressive about that and we see there's like none of that going on in this list. so there's like you gotta gotta kind of pick what you want to tech for i guess a little bit at some point as well but i, don't, I just don't think the lycanroc does enough um just because everyone's gonna be playing or most people are probably playing dunsparce in their own Arceus decks. And sure, you can KO at first, you got to get it, and then you got to get into your Lycanroc uh, after that. Yeah, definitely. And there's a few other really interesting Arceus builds in day two of EUIC, the Arceus Malamar VMAX, which we actually saw on the stream. I think Malamar is one of the more powerful VMAXs, but it's just, you know, a lot to get set up. I actually think Malamar, you know, a little sneak peek to something we'll probably talk about in the future, but I think Malamar VMAX gets pretty good with Astral Radiance just getting access to Dark Patch and Roxanne, but for now, um, Malamar VMAX also seems like a fun partner for Arceus V-Star, and there's also the Beedrill deck, the the Single Strike Mustard, the Flygon, there was a decent amount of that in day two as well, and it had pretty solid finishes, uh, and there was also Magnus uh, Peterson's Urshifu Arceus deck that also was playing Beedrill, so it was like Urshifu instead of Flygon, so yeah, there's still just so much going on and so many different options of things you can do with Arceus, and I, honestly, I don't know that any of them are like bad choices i think you can play arceus and pair it with whatever you know your favorite flavor of the day is because it's just that solid of a card right yeah and then if as long as like it'll make anything consistent so now your opponent has no idea what they're worrying about or what they're playing into, so you can have a little bit of a surprise factor um and actually the flagon's actually i think pretty good right now because flagon actually one hit ko's urshifu with a goon ping or a choice belt um so like arceus beedrill Flygon, get a Manaphy down there or Dunsparce, I don't know, one of them to protect your bench or protect your Arceus from getting one hit KO'd and then load up a Flygon if they want to use Urshifu, it's going to get KO'd in the next turn and maybe you can kind of roll from there. So there's like a little bit more life in a deck like that right now, but um, yeah, I mean there's just so many ways to play Arceus. It's kind of like yeah, you can kind of do whatever you want and it's like they're all going to be pretty solid, I think, at the end of the day, but some will be, you know, better than others um, overall. And then there was like even the other yeah, there was like there was the the Arceus and Teleon Beedrill deck as well. That um, they're pretty close to making top eight, I believe. I don't know if I remember correctly. Was yeah, that, that was... the one that the Japanese player played? Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, they were in top thirty-two. I think they lost like the second to last round. Yeah, they lost to Bradner. They they had that one on stream. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Raging. That deck was that deck was interesting. That was actually like a re- way closer game than I thought it would be. Too, I didn't think it was going to be close at all. I was about to be like, <laughs> about to like go make some food during the stream or something. Like game <laughs> one, they got 
they got stomped and then game two they i think uh brandon had a pretty bad start and then game three they had like the turn two boss on the lone Ar- uh, urshifu and it was actually getting close um and then brandon almost whiffed off of marnie but yeah. um they ended up pulling it out in the end but yeah that, <laughs> i didn't think it was gonna be that close but it was uh that was definitely an interesting deck to have the have the bees in there of course yeah i think so drill is you. like just pretty solid when you can set it up but it's obviously got you know the consistency problems and where does it fit the best i think it's still probably best to play it alongside flygon and yeah what you said about flygon being decent right now is you know it makes sense to me because i think the problem with Drill into urshifu right you feel like oh yeah Drill is so good against urshifu it plays rapid strike energy well, the thing about Urshfu is that when it attaches Rapid Strike energy, it's usually discarding it right away, which makes yeah. Drill just not good against it. Yeah, and it makes Beedrill, yeah, it makes Beedrill, and that's actually just exactly what happened in uh, in Bradner's match up against that deck, is just discard him, and they're gone, you don't have to worry about it. And they didn't play Dunsparce or Manaphy, and that's why I thought yeah. it would be such a one-sided affair. Um, but yeah, you get rid of it, and then the Beedrill's no longer an issue, and then you hit it, and then they... Cheryl and then they Gale thrust you and, and kind of repeat that from there. I think uh, the biggest and like most popular question we had on Twitter was should I put Manaphy in my Arceus deck or just in decks in general and we'll talk more I guess about in general later on but yeah I, I think the answer for both of us as far as Arceus decks are concerned is yes you should be playing Manaphy and Dunsparce in your Arceus deck this weekend. Yeah, I want to I want to say you don't have to play both if you play Hoopa V, but you maybe have to to be honest. Like I haven't tested enough of that kind of matchup to to know for sure if you need both um or want both. You don't mm-hmm. want to play both and you'd prefer to play Dunsparce because there's more than just Urchifu Moltres as far as fighting random fighting stuff goes. You prefer to play Dunsparce, but it it does kind of almost feel like you have to play both to be honest. The more I've kind of tested the uh tested the matchup the more i've played from both sides it feels like if they don't have both you're going to be in trouble but even if you get both down if they get like a good turn to avery then you're still going to maybe be in trouble because if you have to go to like manaphy dunsparce uh arceus arceus you have no shady dealings next turn that can still put you in an awkward spot as well so yeah i don't know uh urshifu's making making everything weird to, to have to deal with and it's weird it's funny because like just like sometimes when you just add a manaphy you just win a matchup right if you did that against Shaltion, you just win in so many decks. But mm-hmm. it's not the same way for Urshifu. Urshifu has too many options in the in the build right now that even adding Manaphy plus Dunsparce does not just win you the matchup, which is crazy. And one th- something that I thought was a good question actually comes from Xander Perot over on Twitter and says, how many recovery cards would you play in Arceus to counter Urshifu? Because... I think just playing the cards isn't quite enough. You need like either the Clara or the Ordinary Rod to get these pieces back because if your Manaphy just gets boss KO'd, then they're going to have G-Max Rapid Flow free reign. Um, you know, if they boss your Dunsparce and KO it, they're going to be one-hit KOing all your Arceus. So I almost feel like having a recovery card, at least one, is necessary. Is there ever a world where you would play more than one? Probably not, right? No, I don't think so. I think you play if you're playing Moltres, you already play Clara, so you're good. If you're stuck on the base, the straightforward water and Teleon build of Arceus, then I think one rescue carrier is your best option yeah. because it's faster and you just don't need to recover your Arceus pretty much ever with that deck. You don't care. Um, and then with Arceus Beaver, I just want to play any, I don't think. Like it's too awkward to find and then utilize. I would rather just be more consistent. 
and then just get them out uh, fast and just like hopefully they can do enough. Because like if you play the Hoopa V and something like the Arcade's right. B Barrel, you'll load that up. And if they want to go into the Urshifu V Max, they don't have to. They can 100 Furious blows. You don't have Dunsparce for 1 to KO anyways, but who will get you three prize cards. You can kind of roll from there and hope it's enough. And you're spamming Marnie at them. So you got a pretty good shot just going about it like that. But I think, yeah, the water build. I mean, if you're playing Baby Monsters, you got Clara. I think that's enough. You don't need to play more than that. Maybe you go up to two Clara because of that, I guess. But if you're playing the straightforward water build, I think a rescue carrier is probably the best option. Or if you feel like if you if you're testing it and you feel like you can beat them, if you play both, get value out of them while they're there. If that's enough, then that that can also just be enough to win games, right? Like I think Marnie, and I think people are understanding how good Marnie is against decks yes. and maybe even increasing their Marnie count. So throw those both down, hit them with a Marnie. What are they actually doing on their turn, you know? Yeah, Marnie good in general, but specifically very good against Urshifu. And I think that's another reason that we saw Marnie be so dominant <laughs> at UIC is that there is a severe lack of Marnie in people's lists right now. You know, yeah. Arceus decks are playing one or two at the most. You know, some of the Mew decks were playing one copy, but other than that, like Malamar not playing Marnie, um, you know, the Urshifu mirrors not playing Marnie, you know, the single prize Hoopa dark box, you know, Intellian deck, you know, not really playing Marnie. So there's a lot of stuff out there that's not playing Marnie. That's a pretty reasonable percentage of the field. Um, yeah. but speaking of Mew VMAX and also <laughs> the Marnie, uh, before we get to that, has Mew VMAX finally fallen out of tier one? Just one in top eight did end up making it to the top four. Um, it feels like there's a lot of variety in the format right now. And though I think it was Mew was probably still the most popular deck in the field. It was the most popular deck still in day two. Um, it's, you know, besides that first regionals of the season has lacked the big finish that I think everyone was expecting from it. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it's out of tier one. I think it's still tier one. I think that's just like you still see all of these decks trying to hard counter Mew. And then we'll see less of that, I think, with Urshifu from EUIC. We'll see less hard counters uh, or less people committing all of their counter spots and tech spots to the Mew VMAX matchup. And we'll see a couple more committed towards Urshifu. But I mean, that's kind of still tells how good the deck is. I mean, it's still made top eight at uic kaiwin lost the winning into gustavo yeah. um there was a couple more in yeah, top there was three in the top well. 16 including yeah. uh kaiwin so like still seems pretty solid to me um and i think the deck has been getting you know kind of getting hard countered for a long time it's finally going to let up a little bit which is going to make a little bit more room for it to have a little bit more success i feel like but it's been kind of doing fine throughout all of these people trying to hard counter it so i think that just kind of is a testament that it's definitely still a tier one deck if not still like the tier s deck but urshifu is definitely putting up a have a good argument for that so i think it's we'll put it in tier one alongside urshifu at the very least and i think the big question for new players going into this weekend is what tech cards should we play and that's actually a twitter question we got from at mr sharney what tech cards should Mew play currently? Echoing Horn has been a popular one for a while. I'm still a fan of that because it's really good against the Arceus decks, and, you know, there's been a little resurgence of the Arceus Duraludon. Uh, you know, the Horn is still, I think, pretty solid. Um, also, one Marnie is a card that you and I have both been playing in our Mew list for a while, and I think that yeah. a Marnie is necessary 
for the Urshifu matchup because, which is weird to say, right? Because you're like, Urshifu is weak to Psychic as a VMAX. It's like an easy matchup for me. But just the way the deck is built, they don't even put Urshifu in play in the matchup. So unless they start it, you're not going to get those two or three prizes from an Urshifu. And uh, then you're just kind of having to wait to play into their Moltres. And so I think it's important for you to have Marnie so you can on a key turn, play it to break that massive hand that they've built up when they're trying to build towards a, a big Moltres play. No, yeah, I think the Marnie's basically essential at this point. I think everyone's going to be... Most people should be rocking that, if not everyone rocking that at this point. At least one, yeah. and I would even consider a second one, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, I mean... Or I like a Palpat or something. Yeah, I almost would want to go the Palpat route so you can recover yeah, yeah. bosses. But yeah, I think... Uh, Marnie's basically a staple, but I don't even know. There's not much else to tech in there besides that. I've been thinking about going to like, uh, yeah, like the the like fourth boss or the pal pad, especially because in the Urshifu matchup, like early turns, you just want to be KOing Sobbles and Drizzles. Like that's literally it. And that's why the escape ropes are so good in that matchup too. They send up their Snorlax, and you're like, all right, escape rope, give me the Sobble. All right, knock it out, repeat. <laughs> and then on the third, when you go into your three prize turn, you're like, all right, boss, psychic leap a Sobble. You know, so, um, and then you hit him with the Marnie eventually down the road. But no, I could definitely see it being worth to uh to include the the pal pad maybe second marty but yeah i think a marty at the least should become the to become the deck and i still like the horn as well i would like to not play the horn because i'm kind of getting bored of it because uh, mm -hmm. there's so many times where it's not useful and like yeah it's good but it's so good against the arceus deck it feels like you kind of got to keep it around for that yeah another card that i've thought about i don't think i would play it but you know what you were talking about with having the fourth boss because you just want to be KOing sobbles early uh, because yeah. that also limits them from plays a card i've thought about a little bit is that fusion strike ice cube from brilliant stars <laughs> uh i think the main problem is that it takes up a bench spot <laughs> but the ice cube i think is kind of cool block slider is its attack for a water and a colorless you do 40 damage to one of your opponent's pokemon for each fusion strike energy attached to all of your pokemon so i would feel a little bit better about playing a card like this if it did a little bit more damage damage per yeah. energy like if it could get to the point where it was one hit KOing like a crowbat on the bench that would make it maybe a little bit better but then also the fact that most of these decks are probably going to be playing manaphy this weekend as well makes it a lot worse but you know it's a cute little tech that i've you know yeah. kept my eye on i think in a different meta ice cube could definitely you know have its time to shine yeah, I actually like that. And once it's a, it's a water colorless, right? So you can yeah. attack with itself eventually as well. Just start mm -hmm. picking off. I mm -hmm. I actually like that. I might try that out. I actually oh. like the <laughs> the ice cube. I don't think I own one, but <laughs> <laughs> that actually, yeah, because that's I mean that's your goal in the early game is just to literally sit there and bop, bop sobbles and bop drizzles and then uh, eventually marnium. But I, yeah, so that would be like another route to guarantee that. Because even the escape ropes, if they got like a snorlax and a mew or a snorlax and uh, a hoopa down or something to play around the escape rope, mm -hmm. you're not getting that not getting that sobble or that drizzle ko you're looking for that's what really what you're after in the in the early stages of the game so yeah I can and you see can the... do it on turn one right you can Alyssa sparkle to it attach <laughs> yeah. And, yeah it's yes, what's its hp is he surviving hoopa it's 110 oh tank too wow would you look at that <laughs> <laughs> yeah it definitely seems like it could have its fit but yeah i don't think there's anything too spicy to add to me anymore i think we've kind of been around it just kind of marnie at this point um and then uh, I guess the other, and you said, yeah, Whimsicott was like the, they made it to the finals, the crazier deck. But I would say the, the craziest deck to actually make top yeah, eight yeah, was yeah. definitely the Sylveon. Mm -hmm. But it's definitely not a deck I would prepare for. But do you think it has a chance to kind of repeat its success? 
I mean, I would be surprised if it did. I don't expect it to be widely played. I think, uh, you know, if it's, I think that deck making top eight really just shows that if you know a deck really well and it's a deck you've practiced with, you, it's not a bad idea to just stick with that deck for a tournament and you yeah. can still see success, even though it might be a deck that everyone else is like, oh, that's inconsistent. You know, you should just play meta. You can still make cut or make a deep run, even even if Ty had not made top eight. You know, even making top 32 with Sylveon, I would have said, would have been like an insanely good accomplishment. Um, because, yeah, I mean, it's just not a deck that I think anyone was expecting or, you know, had much respect for. Um, but yeah, it just goes to show what play your comfort and you, uh, as long as it's not just actually terrible, um, yeah. <laughs> you can you still, need to like, you can still make something happen for sure. Yeah. At some point you should switch up decks for, you know, the sake of learning a new deck is a great, a great way to learn the game better as well. Like just simply playing the same deck over and over and over again, you're, you're learning that much less, right? Like, mm -hmm. Um, so picking up new decks, trying out new decks, you're going to learn that much more about the game and all that. And at some point, if your deck is truly terrible, uh, you should probably switch it up, which is a deck that I think is not in a great spot. Uh, Rapture Malamar. I don't know if it's truly terrible. I'm not a huge fan of it right now. Chip, do you think any different? Yeah, I, I don't think it's great right now either, which is really weird to say because like two tournaments ago, we were calling it a tier one deck. And it's, it's just good. crazy <laughs> how much the meta changes and adjusts to things. Um, a lot of decks are playing Avery right now. Avery's very good against Rapid Strike Malamar. It's also good against any other Intellian engine deck, but very good against Rapid Strike Malamar. Um, you know, people have just kind of learned the deck a little bit more as well, it feels like, so they know um, kind of how to play the matchup. Uh, you know, there's all the decks kind of have unique different things they can do, like the Arceus Intellian deck can go for uh you know the aqua bullet you know ko uh nk on the bench play right with a quick shooting and a zigzagoon or um you know mew can choose to go second and go for the glistening droplets on oracorio try to target down the lone nk they get in play and just buy a turn like there's just a lot that all the popular decks can do to play to that matchup and people have kind of learned those different niche things at this point yeah, now you have to play the Manaphy for sure. Like, you can't not play the Manaphy for the Urshifu matchup. And even then, they're going to Avery you. You're going to put the Manaphy down. You're going to yep. fill your bench. And then you're going to get Avery. And that's going to hurt um, a lot. We did see a cute tech in Seb's list that I don't know how high they placed in the tournament at BUIC, but they did pretty well. Uh, they played the Guru. Yeah. Uh, and their reasoning kind of for that was like it would protect their boss specifically and kind of move their boss around. Um, now the one thing I thought was interesting about Seb's list, they didn't play a quick ball, so they could not find the guru besides literally drawing into it. They didn't even play like great balls or anything. Yeah, it's kind of a funny thing. And Joe and I were actually talking about this uh, inclusion in Seb's list because Joe is a huge uh, Rapid yeah. Strike Malamar fan. He obviously went nine and zero at Liverpool with it, made top eight with the deck. Um, and yeah, he was like, "Yeah, I, Seb's reasoning for it is like." If I draw my non-Rapid Strike cards, I can put them back into the deck and I can most likely find a regular ra a Rapid Strike card to do more damage. Yeah. But Joe's like, what happens when you draw the Oranguru? <laughs> because that's, <laughs> that is a non-Rapid Strike card. <laughs> and your only way to get it is drawing into it. So, yeah. I mean, I think the idea is cute for sure, but 
I don't know that it's the I, it's it's like fine. It's fine, but yeah. I don't know that I would necessarily be playing it. It does make a it gives you an easy decision of what to discard off of Avery, which I guess is a plus. <laughs> I mean, I think I would I would definitely include a quick ball. And speaking of that, the uh one a Malamar deck in the finals of the most recent late night tournament with I believe over 300 players is Malamar with an Orangaroo. Now they do play a quick ball and three great balls. So they can find the Orangaroo, but they're kind of copying the same thing that Seb had with like a lower Intelli online, the 4-2-1. Oh, it won the um, tournament. Yeah, it just finished. It, it did end up winning, yeah. And yeah. they have the they have the Manaphy in there. So maybe we just, and also the double escape rope, which is something I've been talking about for a little while in Malamar is the double escape rope. And no balls. I think, yeah, because in the Mew matchup, it's specifically great. And then even up against Arceus decks, that first turn, they have that big Arceus V-Star. They don't got the second Arceus V-Star on the bench. That's such an easier knockout. You get the escape rope before you even use your ambition sometimes. Just bring something better up. Uh, quick ball for your guru. Get that in play. And then, uh, you know, you're getting knockouts way easier until you get to that those mid-game, late-game uh, situations where Malmar can hit, like, 10, 12 rapid strike cards, and you're one KOing literally anything. So really interesting list. Uh, Avery might still be rough to deal with, but it definitely looks like it's a little bit more prepared for the meta overall. Yeah, uh, only two Karina's Focus and only three Spiral Energy. So in order to yeah. fit some of these other consistency things, the Great Balls and the Quick Ball, in order to find your non-Rapid Strike cards, uh, you have to cut down on Rapid Strike cards. So it always does scare me a little bit with a deck like this that's reliant on a specific type of card, right? Malamar, you need to get Rapid Strike cards. So when you're cutting rapid strike cards for non-rapid strike cards just inherently it's taking away from your deck's overall strategy which always scares me a little bit well the great balls will probably find rapid strike cards right? yeah like, but you, they're in there because you're wanting them to get your orangu and manaphy which like is good in the early game i guess but like i don't know just like taking a kinda, hard a hard rapid strike card out of the deck for yeah something that could get you a rapid strike card you know it does like kind of like thin out your deck a little bit more to the point where you're finding your scoop up nets and your rescue carriers more often though right because sure. like instead of like having a rapid strike card in the hand and putting it back in and having two rapid strike cards in the deck you burn the great ball gets a rapid strike card now you're down one you have one less card in your deck that's not one of those key cards that kind of accelerates your deck so the list is cool i think i'm definitely gonna try it out myself uh <laughs> i guess later today on on my stream because actually that i like the the guru is something i've been meaning to try and now the great balls have given me like another like I, th I think there could be something there for sure as well. Definitely. Uh, and another deck that I think a lot of people were really excited about because everyone loves to see what Sander brings to tournaments is Sander's Umbreon wall deck. So I, I, I still see people calling this a control deck online. It's not really a control deck, is it? It's it's like a wall, yeah. like a stall deck Wailord. more so. Um but yeah, where, where do you feel like this Umbreon deck kind of sits right now? Now that it's kind of a known quantity, um, you know, is there adjustments that should be made to Sanders deck after, you know, kind of seeing how the meta's developed? Do you need the full three Flanneries? Do you need, like, uh, all those, like, I don't know, is, like, the single strike energies like are all these pieces super super necessary um or and like how do you feel like it's positioned right now in the meta it definitely feels like it's not bad yeah i mean i don't think it's great i think the urshifu matchup is awkward because mm -hmm. they start punching and then you have to like heal every turn which you can't do because yeah. otherwise they g max rapid flow 
So, and like, yeah, I think like the Flannerys and the single strike energy are necessary because that's your Mew matchup is like, you either have to be attacking with a Mew uh, Umbreon soon to like take energy out of play, or ideally you're just removing the energy from play with Yvatal plus Flannery. Uh, the one thing that I think could probably cut is the Jolteon line. Um, someone mentioned that the only reason Sander played that was for the Malamar matchup, which I'm not 100% sure on. Um, but if it is only for the Malamar matchup, Malamar's not super popular right now, so I could definitely see that being unnecessary. But yeah, it definitely is more like a wall deck than a control deck. It's kind of like, you know, Whale Lord Stall from uh, way back in the day. I guess it's still maybe a thing in Expanded. I don't even know. I guess, like, yeah, there's, like, other wall decks in Expanded now with dolls yeah. and stuff. But yeah, it's basically like that. You just try and infinitely make it so your opponent can't draw prize cards while they dock out, or you very slowly win through doing 30 damage with Eldegoss every, every other turn, every turn, yeah, so... There's that. It's a, it's a definitely a, a interesting deck, but I don't think it's uh, it's not it's not like some new broken control. It's not some new broken wall deck that everyone's going to start playing, yeah. kind of like Whale Lord was, because it's just it's very it's hard to play, and the deck overall I don't think it has like the best matchup spread. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see someone make cut with something really similar to Sanders' deck. I wouldn't be surprised to see one in top eight. Um, because I do think like this strategy is solid and, you know, people have a hard time playing against those type of decks because you just have to adjust your thinking so much compared to how you normally would play your deck because the game is just going to be much longer, much grindier, uh, and not every player, if they haven't tested it, can just like adjust on the fly to whatever those type of strategies are. So I think there, yeah. it, it definitely could you know, make cut. I wouldn't be surprised to see one in cut, but I don't know that it'll necessarily like win the turn. I, I, I would be, I, I would not expect it to like win the tournament. It's definitely not broken. Like you said. So, yeah. uh, and then last thing we'll talk about before we move on to the new Pokemon go cards that have been revealed. Do you feel like there are any past popular decks that are due for a resurgence? I've seen some ice rider popping up in online events Connor Fenton made top 32 with a Shadow Rider Whimsicott deck. So could we see, you know, Shadow Rider come back into the meta a little bit? And then also Duraludon, a deck that's really not been popular at all, feels like it could be positioned to be pretty decent right now. Uh, I mean, maybe Duraludon, but I don't think the other two have any any hope. <laughs> maybe Duraludon, maybe yeah. Duraludon. But the, and then Duraludon's even like, Duraludon's kind of always been around, but Shadow Rider, you're not beating Mew. Ice Rider, you're not beating Mew. Um, and now Shadow Rider has to deal with Baby Moltres literally everywhere because of Mew. And uh, Ice Rider does have a good Arceus matchup. I don't. They don't have a great Urshifu matchup, though. They can't want to KO it very easily. And then the Cheryl comes down. And are you going to play your own Cheryl? No, because then you can't Melanie. So I don't think, yeah. Ice Rider, there's still no hope for Ice Rider. Little hope for uh, Shadow Rider. And Duraldon's solid. And I, I feel like the meta is still kind of like trending towards, you know, getting better for Duraldon. So Duraldon's got that going for it for sure. Um, but yeah, speaking of those Pokemon Go cards, <clears throat> the biggest one I feel like out of the, um, well, the one that's most talked about, I think for sure, is the Stadium card. Yeah. Um, before before we stop. get into the, the like, what the actual cards are, because we'll look at all the ones that have been revealed and talk about our thoughts on all of them. I just kind of want to talk about these like mini sets in okay, general, yeah. because it feels like, you know, we, we get a mini set, a collector set like this every year. It feels like, you know, whether it's, yeah. you know, shining fates, hidden fates. Um, th this is almost a little more unique. It feels more like the detective Pikachu, uh, type of set almost where, it, I mean, I guess this has a few more cards in it compared to detective Pikachu, but it always feels like these sets 
mostly don't change the meta, but then have like one or two cards that will make at least somewhat of an impact, right? You have anything from Detective? I remember having to get Detective Pikachu Snubbles, but I never used them. I remember getting the <laughs> Snubble for Gramble. That's funny. I, mean, I think, I think now, was there was like uh, the, the Greninja that was like, you know, I think oh, yeah. it, it, it did okay at a regionals one time. And then but at uh, UIC, yeah. the, the Ditto was pretty decent as a one of in Reshizard. I think that it, Cody Walensky made top eight at Madison Regionals that year with yep, the yep. Detective Pikachu uh, ditto because you could just, like, as a one-prizer, copy your opponent's Reshizard. Yeah, yeah. I don't know that it was ever really that good, though. Like, the, the, those <laughs> cards were, like, yeah, it, it's it definitely feels like these sets are either have very fringe cards that probably won't really ever see that much play, or they have, like, one, maybe two, like, really good cards and everything else is kind of just meh. Yeah, more so okay cards than anything. I feel like I feel like not even like that good. They're all like pretty. What was like? What did Victini Prism come from? Was that one of these? That sets, was from or was Dragon's that, like, Majesty. Bigger? So Victini Prism was one from a mini set, and then we, I mean like Zoark GX that... was from Shining Legends. Like you know, there's definitely yeah. been cards in the past that have had big big time impacts uh, from these mini sets, but it's usually just like one or two cards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not surprised. I mean, not to, yeah. I don't really expect much from. Uh these sets ever really to be honest they don't have really have like a huge immediate impact but i guess like we have had i guess for zork is the only one was shining legends was that like a big set release i think that was a bigger set than no it's 75 cards which i mean this set is 78 cards so okay we haven't gotten all the all of them yet right they only leaked yeah we've only gotten a few revealed so far um and there's a few of them including the Mewtwo V Star which I think is going to be you know obviously a fan favorite yep. everyone loves Mewtwo but I don't know that this card is that good it's got 280 hit points Psy Purge deals 90 damage or sorry it for, it does 90 times you discard up to 3 psychic energy from your pokemon and this attack does 90 damage for each card you discarded in this way. So you can get to 270 with a choice belt, 300 damage. You knock out all the other V-Stars. But it's pretty high maintenance getting that many energies yeah. in play to discard turn after turn after turn after turn. And its V-Star power is star raid, 120 damage to each of your opponent's Pokemon V. Which, you know, feels like kind of that Black Ray GX or, uh, you know, Holy Star, if you're thinking all the way back to Rayquaza Gold Star. And those attacks have been pretty decent in the past. And I think if this V-Star power was on, like, a basic, like, if there was basic V-Stars, yeah. Star Raid would, like, probably be played at some point in some capacity. But as it stands on a one, uh, a stage one, this card feels pretty pretty poor to me honestly yeah it's also weak to dark which is like not only not great now but next set gets worse <laughs> i feel like yeah uh, but star red i actually think is pretty good and maybe could we combo with some kind of spread deck overall but by itself yeah that i mean i guess you get up to 300 damage with the psi purge and we do have that clefairy coming out that accelerates you so get a bunch of energies in play with that thing. Yeah, <laughs> so you can ramp them out. You can ramp them out with the Clefairy. You've also got Galarian Articuno as an option, which has yep. like the same ability as Galarian Moltres, but for psychic energies instead. And it also has like a spread esque attack where it does 120 damage to anything. So you could set, you know, it's it's an option, I guess. But it just feels like something like this would be very high maintenance. I think that the real potential for this card would be in the V-Star power as like a 1-1 line in some spread deck at some point, right? Yeah, it's got potential. But it, yeah, being weak to dark, I think, is the biggest hindrance here. 
Um, and then, but probably the most hyped card um, from the set. And I literally thought that people were reading item instead of trainer or trainer instead of item when I saw everyone hyping this on Twitter because I don't think it's that good. <laughs> but uh, Pokestop, once certain each player's turn, that player may discard three cards from the top of their discard all three of them. If a player discarded any item, item from the top of their deck, cards. from the top of their deck, the way you said that, it, it made it sound like you're discarding cards from your discard pile. The way oh, no, discard the top that. three cards from their deck. Yeah, if yeah. a player discards any item, not trainer cards in this way, they may put those item cards in their hand. So good for finding item cards, but you're discarding the top three cards of your deck and you only get to keep the items. So of course, everyone thinks Mew when they see this card. And I can see it as a one-up for some late game push. But early game, you're risking your energy, your Pokemon. It just kind of feels a little bit too risky as like a staple in that deck. I could see it in some decks that like to go a little bit more aggressive. I saw Stefan mention Zacian Zamacenta, but I was like, that deck hasn't been good for. <laughs> yeah, well, I think what Stefan was saying, not about that deck specifically, yeah, but yeah. for like that type of deck, like that is a deck from the past that could have yeah. utilized this stadium very, very well. And I think with Dark Patch coming out, there's a lot more potential for something like this to, you know, make play. And I do think this card is really good, but I don't think it's going to be like a card that a lot of decks play. I think it's going to be yeah, really yeah. good in specific decks. Something like what Stefan mentioned mentioned um you know a deck that uh i think could be kind of cool would be like a fusion strike deck with just genesex and hoopas and you can play metal saucer and dark patch now with astro radiance coming out pokestop mill your energies uh <laughs> you know you're flying through the deck with genesect obviously and you've got all these patch cards to get your energies back into play. So, I mean, I, I do think that there is a place for this card and I do think it is very, very good, but it is a very specific deck that could utilize this. Yeah, yeah, definitely. No, yeah, it could have its moments for sure. I never think of those cards being like that ridiculously good personally, because it's like, it's good because all those other cards around it are good and the the deck would probably survive without this card. It's not like a make or break card. It's just like, yeah, it's pretty good. I mean, decks. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think, uh, it's very much like a turbo card yeah right i can and see it working with uh the, the dark ride for sure like a turbo dark turbo dark build for sure yeah definitely you can see it there i mean and with like there's just so many powerful items that are coming out too like there, there's i think there's a lot of potential for this card to you know be used in things uh you know it maybe after thinking about it a little bit it's like not quite as because uh, I was also someone who tweeted that I thought this card was, like, insane. It's maybe not <laughs> insane, but I do think it is really good in the right deck, for sure. Yeah. Um, another interesting few supporters to talk about that were revealed from the set. We have Spark, Blanche, and Candela. Uh, Cal- Spark, Blanche, and Candela, who are the leaders of each of the Team Go or Pokemon Go teams, you know, uh, Team Instinct, Valor, and Mystic. Um, I don't know, Azul, are you a team? When when you played Pokemon Go, which which team were you on? Do you remember? I think I was Team Valor. Valor. Yeah. Is that the, that's the red, red one, one, right? Yeah. Okay, I can't ever remember. It's been a long time. I played Pokemon Go a good bit when it came out, just about, like, <laughs> yeah. uh, just like pretty much everyone did, right? But it's been a it's been a while since I've I've played the game. But I'm not going to lie, these cards are, you know, it's kind of making me remember that Pokemon Go exists. I see a lot of people <laughs> playing it at Pokemon <laughs> tournaments. Maybe I'll download it again. Who knows? But uh, I was I was on Team Instinct, for whatever that's worth, the, the Lightning team. 
But anyway, yeah, so these cards ha all have a really similar effect. You draw two cards, and if you drew any cards in this way, you flip a coin, if heads, attach a, you know, whatever energy for that type uh, of, you know, whatever that trainer is, that type of energy yeah. card from your discard pile, it's one of your bench Pokemon. So Spark gets you a, a lightning energy if you flip heads, Blanche gets you a water energy if you flip heads, and uh, Candela gets you a fire energy if you flip heads. These all feel like very, you know, welder at home vibes to me, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very much so. Coco Prism at home, welder at home, uh, uh, Melanie at home. <laughs> yeah, we literally have Melanie. Who would play Blanche? Um, well, yeah, but Blanche so, yeah. can attach to your non uh, non V Pokemon, right? So. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay, it's broken. You're right. <laughs> yeah, so obviously the cards don't seem very good at all, but no. they could do some cheesy stuff. I'm sure there's something cheesy you could do with them. I'm sure LDF is already cooking up, like, a deck for each of them for sure. Yeah, I mean, I'm, um, I think, like, you know, these are great spots in, like, you know, fun decks of those specific yeah. types because it gives you, you know, theoretically card draw and energy acceleration. But, yeah. um, I mean, I think that these cards would have been solid if it was a guaranteed effect. Um, yep. And I don't think it would have been broken by any means. I think it would have been just like these would have all three been solid cards. But the fact that they made the energy attachment clause be a coin flip has pretty much made them low tier to almost just straight up bad. Yeah, I think that's what they kind of do with a lot of cards is when it's like they could be too good. They just add a coin flip. It's like, all right, it's bad now. Speaking of flipping coins, the uh, I actually read the APOM for the first time, <laughs> and I thought it was funny. It's got the primate dexterity as an ability. If it would ever take damage from an attack, you flip a coin of heads, prevent that damage. So some Whimsicott GX vibes coming in there. And then the full tilt fling for one colorless. Flip a coin for each energy attachment. You do 60 times. So there's definitely a good meme deck in Let's this uh, Andy Palm. I'm actually, this one of those, this one of those decks where I, one of those cards where I read, I'm like, all right, I'm kind of excited to actually try this out at uh, some point. Yeah, this is um, literally like Whimsicott Jr. It's like the same, yeah. <laughs> the same. It's Whimsicott at home, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, but this um, is this is cool though because it's a one prizer. So yeah, there's yeah, a lot more you can do with it. 90 uh, HP. 90 level HP, ball level ballable. Um, being a one prizer, it doesn't have a rule box, so you can get energies on it with Cherum, right? Um, you know, you've got double Iron turbo Man. energy. I don't know, Energy. and these abilities are always annoying, and it feels like when this this type of ability has been printed in the past, like, it always, you know, it, it comes up in a little bit of, like, a tier three meme deck every now and then, you know, I think back to, like, the Noivern, I think it was, from Furious Fists, like, people played that card a little bit, yeah. Whimsicott GX was really kind of the big one for more recent memory that was, like, an okay deck, I remember the first time I saw Whimsicott, I thought it was absolutely broken, I thought it was, like, insanely good, <laughs> I think you thought it was really good, too, right, whenever it first got revealed, and it just, it wasn't quite it. <laughs> yeah, I don't quite remember, it's also one of those, whenever you go up against something like the Whimsicott, where when you go up against this, you're like, it could happen, they could hit all heads, like, no matter what, they have a win condition, right, it there's a win terrifying condition. to play versus. Is for sure. <laughs> Definitely. Um, um, one card that's probably a little bit more uh, serious and has potential, and that we kind of already have, is a new Snorlax with block. 
So is is it is the one of the expanded's ability still called block? It is, yeah. So it's an exact reprint of the ability, but the other stats on the card are different. So yeah. this Snorlax oh, has 150 HP. The one in expanded has 130. This one's not a team plasma Pokemon. The one in expanded is. Its attack is different as well. But yeah, yeah, block. This is a very annoying ability in the right deck, and I'm sure any control or stall player rejoiced when they saw this card was being reprinted in standard. Yeah, Sander got super excited, I'm sure. I mean, can you imagine, like, you can just go block, boss up a Genesect, they switch, you boss up a Genesect, they switch, you boss it up again, and then they're stuck. Or, like, one turn later, one more boss later, they're stuck, right? Um, but, yeah, block, as long as it's, the Pokemon is in the active, the Snorlax, your opponent's active Pokemon can't retreat. So, uh, yeah, you can get uh, your opponent in some sticky situations with that one. People currently use it in Expanded. Of course, everything can be used in Expanded to a ridiculous level, so... Uh, but this one has a little bit more HP, so now you have a tankier Snorlax that you have to deal with and expand it instead of the Team Plasma one. Another card I want to talk about that I think seems pretty cool and definitely could be a lot of fun is the Magikarp from this set. Uh, usually Magikarps, you just kind of glance over them and don't think much more of them. It's usually got like a flail or a splash, something like that. does 10 damage or, you know, zero. Um, but yeah, this, this card, it has 30 hit points. And its attack is Raging Fin. For two colorless, it deals 10 base damage. And then this attack does 30 more damage for each Magikarp and Gyarados in your discard pile. Which, that's a lot of damage on just a two colorless basic Pokemon that can be attacking into you every single turn. Now, it's obviously quite a bit of work to get seven specific Pokemon into the discard pile and then also recovering one Magikarp every single turn. Um, but I don't know. This card seems pretty uh, pretty cool to me. I don't think it'll be great, but it'll definitely be fun to mess around with. Yeah, you got Pokestop, too. You might be able to triple through. You just got to be careful of your DTEs and your, your mm -hmm. twin energy. Your twins, but yeah. Yeah, could definitely set it up to get uh, two-hit KOs pretty consistently, I think. So, yeah, it could be a good meme for sure. I don't think it's very going very far in... Uh, Top-level competitive uh, tournaments, but uh, a good meme alongside the APOM. They can duke it out on the PCGO <laughs> ladder. Yes, let's go. Uh, Gyarados, I don't think, has really much going on as far as competitive play viability goes. Pretty sweet-looking artwork, though. I, I do like a lot of the artwork for the Pokemon Go set because it just it's like Pokemon in, you know, in the real world is what all the artwork feels like. So I'm a big fan. Yeah of uh, of a lot of these um and i guess the other card to talk about the other big one to mention would be the lure module don't think this card is great each player reveals the top three cards of their deck and puts all pokemon they find there into their hand and then each player shuffles the other cards back into their deck so three cards is just really not that deep into the deck and it's not really deep yeah. enough to to warrant playing this at a you know reasonable quantity in your deck and then also at the same time you're helping your opponent out as well <laughs> yeah you can maybe do some weird thing with like a weird rapid strike malamar build where like you can like consistently get it to like find two to three pokemon like you thin out your deck more aggressively somehow or something but yeah overall i don't think yeah even in that deck though like so many of your rapid strike cards are like brawlies and you know stuff like that yeah yeah be putting exactly. back every turn so and not, then uh, does uh, not look seem great 
yeah, yeah. So I, I do think it's cool, though, like it, they're keeping with the theme of what lure module does in Pokemon Go, right? Because what this yeah. does is you put it in a Pokestop and it helps everyone else around you find, you know, better Pokemon. <laughs> so you're helping your opponent find Pokemon. I, I think that's cool. Uh, keeping with the theming. So and then I guess the last card we'll mention um, is a promo card, actually, which is a new Radiant Pokemon, the Radiant Eevee. With its Twinkle Gathering attack, for a colorless, you search your deck for a number of cards up to the number of different types of Pokemon you have in play and put them into your hand, then shuffle your deck. So this is a pretty cool um, attack. I think that if this was like an ability that ended your turn or it was like an attack you could use for free, this card would be like pretty okay. But I think, like, the fact that it costs a colorless and it is an attack uh, that you, like, have to commit an energy to this EV, it makes it not that good. I think Sander will probably like this card <laughs> a lot. Yeah, I saw Grant also tweeting about this card in Expanded with, like, the uh, Exodia, like, Missing Clover yeah. deck, right? Uh, and, like, you can definitely... I mean, this card seems insane in a deck like that, right? Where you're just, like, trying to stack your hands to build to this one turn of these missing Clover shenanigans and yeah. stuff like that. So probably some, you know, as as you mentioned, everything is broken and expanded, right? Or everything is, <laughs> Every, is good yeah, and expanded. <laughs> so much. Uh, Radiant Eevee maybe it will have its place there. And it, I get it could see, you know, decent play in, like, a control deck in standard potentially as well. Yeah. Maybe as well you're going to either... Snorlax for for a couple, or just leave it in the active and do nothing. Or you could, you know, attach a, uh, a capture and Twinkle Gathering for even just like two or three cards. You, know, you got like two different uh, types or three different types of Pokemon in play. Yeah, that's a combo on the next turn, right? So may as well may as well do something with your cards. Yep, and just a reminder as well for the Radiant Pokemon rule, you can't have more than one Radiant Pokemon in your deck. So really the same as that gold star rule from way back yeah. during the ex era if you played way back then um yeah you can only have one in your deck so you got to choose your radiant pokemon carefully and there's a lot of powerful ones out there so in order to choose eevee over something like the greninja or even like halucha potentially um you know it's got to be for good reason so And All I right. think that, yeah, that, that is going to wrap up the Pokemon Go cards. Lots of cool ones. Um, nothing, I think, that's going to be super meta-defining by any yeah. means. No Zoark GXs or Victini Prism Stars. But some cool cards that I'm sure, uh, you know, Azul and I will get some good content out of <laughs> without sure. a doubt. Definitely. And now we move on to, once again, everyone's favorite uh, segment of the podcast, which is... Yes, that flavor text this time I am giving, or this week, I'm giving Chip a card. Uh, and starting next week, we're going to even it up here on the on the guesses. And then starting next week, we're going to be introducing some lifelines, which is going to be, we'll be able to each, we'll be able to choose one of these lifelines after we have heard the flavor text, which would be what set the card is from, what stage the card is, what stage the card is, or read an attack name from the card to help uh, guess the card. But this time around... We're doing it the good old-fashioned way where I read the text and Chip has to guess without any help. Um, so we'll see if Chip can even up the score finally this week. Let's go. Are you ready, Chip? is up 1-0 right now. So <laughs> uh, I, I've had a lot of failed attempts, so I'm hoping to redeem myself here. All right. Said to be the embodiment of North Winds, it can instantly purify filthy, murky water. 
said to be the embodiment of north winds. It can yep. instantly purify filthy what? murky filthy, filthy murky water. water. I mean, <laughs> it's between a water type and a flying type, right? For me. Uh, you know, water type being able to purify the water, a flying type, you know, having to do with the wind. Before we started, you said that this was going to be one you thought I would be able to get. And uh, so that makes me think it's probably like a more <laughs> obvious Pokemon or like a, a more popular Pokemon, like something I should be thinking of. Um, Like flowing purifying the water it just that, that's very odd because they it doesn't feel like those are two things that work together on any pokemon is it something that purifies water and flies through the wind um i mean water flying types i think the only ones are like wingle and pelipper and it's definitely not that i, I guess there's like swana i think is a water flying type as well or ducklet um I don't think ducklet's really purifying any water. <laughs> um getting no reads from Azul here. Um man, I really just don't know. I purifies the water. I mean, this also sounds like the actions of like a legendary Pokemon, someone who's like helping out the the land helping out the people so maybe it could be like just a, a legendary water type floating through the air i mean could this be like suicune or something like that potentially um well i never said floating through the air yeah you did what's the beginning of no. it said to be the embodiment of north winds the embodiment of north winds so to me that just meant floating through the air i don't know why <laughs> it can instantly uh purify filthy okay, the embodiment water. of north winds okay sure that's so that is different than floating through the air i don't know where i i got that from <laughs> okay i'm gonna go with suicune i'm gonna go with suicune, we'll it see is if that's suicune it. let's yes, go yeah. <laughs> let's go uh, i didn't think you were gonna get up. it you're on Swana and Ducklet for a while? Like, oh, he's not going to get it. I was never going to guess those. I was just kind of yeah. talking out loud. I was talking out loud. Yeah, right. It is Suicune. I thought you were going to get stuck on I thought you were going to I thought you were going to mess it up though cuz like yeah, I don't even, I was I don't even know how you got the Suicune initially, but then yeah, I corrected you on. Yeah, there's no no floating through the air. It's the embodiment <laughs> of the north winds. Oh, listen, man. I'm still dealing with the jet lag a little bit. I'm tired right now. <laughs> it's 3 a.m. my time we're recording this thing, so <laughs> I'm amazed I got there too, but here it is. Finally tied it up, and that means next week when we start, uh, we, we can kind of start fresh. You know, the score right now being one-to-one -one through eight episodes, kind of crazy through eight episodes. <laughs> We've only gotten two right between the two of us. Uh, but, yeah, I think having the lifelines will help out a bit and also make things um, – you know, more interesting because we'll, we'll get it right more often, hopefully, and uh, give us a little bit more of a hint as well for those of you yeah. playing along at home. All right, so moving along, we've got the Q&A questions that we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast. And once again, if you guys want to get in on any of these Q&A segments, we do tweet out on the Twitter account and then take the replies from the tweet that we tweeted out. So you have to go follow the Twitter at Uncommon underscore Energy to know when we tweet it so you can get your questions in for the future Q&A's on the podcast. We don't do it every episode, 
you do do it sometimes. And the first question we have is from Top Deck underscore TCG. Benefits of play benefits of playtesting with friends that you know their playstyle and thought thought sequence, and they know yours versus playtesting at a local game store with different strangers, so you don't know how they would play slash sequence. Chip, I haven't played at a local game store in a long time myself. My in-person testing is minimal outside of actually showing up to a regional. I don't know how much you play IRL still um, or have been. What do you think? Is there a big difference? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, it's good to do both, right? I think that playtesting with your friends, you know, gives you a couple of experience, right? Because you you get to, you know, get really good, like, grindy games in against someone who knows, not only you know their play style, but they know, like, your deck pretty well, right? And they, like, you know, have likely played against it before, and if you're playing a bunch of games, like, they're, you're gonna get, you know, play based off of their knowledge. Um, but if you play versus, you know, random people, um, you're, it's going to be a different experience and that'll probably be more akin to what you would experience at a regional championship. So I haven't tested super try hard for a tournament in a while. Um, but like for the very first full grip games, one K Grant and I tested quite a bit for, uh, mostly for GLC. We tested a little bit for standard, but we mostly tested the GLC control deck uh, and we tested it pretty hard for the first full grip 1k which was back in like september um and yeah grant would come over and yeah we'd hang out and just grind a bunch of games and i think there's benefits to that because obviously grant is a top level player i always think that if you can play against someone who is better than you that's only going to help you grow um and so yeah grant and i would you know get in a lot of really good games and would learn a lot about how to because we, we like when you're play testing like that you're like talking through different actions and figuring yep. um you know what is the right play in this scenario because you're trying to do it together as opposed to just like playing against someone but then also um you're who you're playtesting against is likely going to have perfect knowledge of your deck and things like that, which is not how it's going to be in a real tournament. So I think it's good to have a balance of, of both things for sure. Okay. So my, like I'll make, I'll do like a little mini rant on this instead of a full rant. So as far as like play style and thought sequence or the way you sequence cards as in terms of aggressive or defensive plays doesn't truly exist in a game like Pokemon. There's only ever like one optimal line of play in the situation with the information you have. So you can always work on that and getting better at perfecting, you know, coming up with game plans and coming up with ways to sequence out your hand uh, to try and play optimally on a turn, uh, irrelevant of who you play up against. And that's like the main driving factor for becoming a better player, um, irrelevant of deck choice or matchup or anything like that. There's an optimal way to play out every situation. And you just want to figure out the optimal way. That's what you're trying to discover. It's not about creating the optimal way. It exists. It's all about kind of finding it more so than creating it. Um, and then as far as like, testing groups go i think the best way to kind of prepare especially for something like a larger tournament is to get a group of players who are all on the same page maybe like four to eight players uh whatever i'm sure you don't want like 30 people involved that's kind of a lot to <laughs> deal with yeah and then all you know be, be play testing with the idea of trying to all play the same deck at the tournament and have like a focused uh, testing group where you're all trying to play a deck at a tournament. Maybe you initially want to come up with the deck that you guys all want to be working on, but if you got, you know, player A and player B and player C all playing different Arceus builds, and then one person's playing Urshifu, one person's playing Mew, no one's there's there's it's a bunch of brain power being split up on a bunch of different decks working on a bunch of different lists, and then you're gonna end up with 
you know, a bunch of more mediocre products than if you had all just uh, a bunch of medi- more medi- mediocre, mediocre products and mediocre um, thoughts on how to play matchups and how to even play their own decks instead of if you all just worked on, let's say, Mew VMAX and you all came up with a Mew VMAX list you all like and you all tested all the matchups and figured out all the cute ways to play matchups and tech cards you want to include for the meta, then you'll end up with a way better product and you'll all go into the event way more prepared and have better results overall. So that's the ideal situation for any kind of testing group. And we see that pretty consistently um, throughout the current age of Pokemon. Sometimes you'll see stuff like, you know, Pedro and Tord who play together. Pedro played uh, Eldegoss, Tord played Manaphy, little things like that, right? There'll be differences in their lists, but they both showed up with the same deck and they both have been working on probably the, the deck together for a while now. So and you see they both had pretty good success. Same thing with like Isaiah and Justin. Yeah, definitely. That all makes sense and has good points. And obviously that has worked very well because Azul was a part of a group who did literally that for like, <laughs> and just absolutely dominated the entire uh, 2019 season. So uh, yeah, the, the proof is there that it does work. Uh, this was a question that uh, I think a lot of people were really interested to hear the answer for because it was the most liked uh, question left on the tweet. And it comes from Mellow underscore Magikarp on Twitter asking, do you metagame differently for a 1,200 person regional than a five to 600 person one? And that's something we haven't even actually talked about yet is uh, that this indie regionals is gearing up to possibly be the largest Pokemon tournament ever. Uh, the largest one previous to this was 1,067, I think was the number, which was Collinsville Regionals a couple of years ago in 2019. And uh, this tournament already has over 1,200 players registered for TCG in all three divisions. So we don't know exactly what the split is, but I would guess that there's probably over 1,067 registered players as of right now for TCG and registration actually is still open for this tournament. It was capped originally, uh, but they made a bunch more space, uh, which we actually, we didn't talk about yet, but major props to them for making that happen. That's definitely something we should have addressed at the beginning of this episode, because we've talked a lot about registration and capacity issues over the last few episodes and Pokemon. And I think round three events is who's running this tournament. They've made it work. They've made more space and there is still registration available for this tournament. So massive props to them for making this happen. Yeah, so if you didn't register because you thought it was capped or whatever, go register. You can still register, especially if you're someone locally or a couple states over. Um, Still definitely time to do it. Those of you who didn't know and have to maybe buy a plane ticket, maybe out of luck this time around. But um, yeah, it's open, so go register. But uh, I actually got to ask this question on my stream the other day, and I think initially I said yes, and the more I think about it, I think no, because it's really just like the same meta, just more people. So it doesn't change the variance of anything. The more I think about it, though, is you're going to have more good players show up to an event like this, which means the chance for there to be more weird decks doing well is higher, right? Because you'll have, instead of, you know, I mean, you could have one of the best players in the world show up with Ice Rider, and then if Ice Rider makes top eight, I wouldn't be as surprised, right? You know, I don't think Ice Rider is a great deck or a great play, but if, you know, a great player shows up with Ice Rider in top eights, I wouldn't be like, oh my gosh, how did they do that, right? Right. Um, It'd be like, oh, this player's really good. They chose to play Ice Rider. Okay, the deck still is bad, but, you know, the player's good. Um, So I think that that is one of the things that happens is you're going to have so much, such a higher concentration of good players that I think the decks that do well have a high a wider range of of what could do well and i think you see the same things at international championships they're not as big of tournaments but the concentration of good players at ic's is so high right that it's no surprise when you see five urshifus in the top eight because they were all piloted by great players players right 
Um, so I think that's what you can see. But overall, the general meta, I don't think it really changes. Like the percentages are going to be the same. It's just going to be instead of 600 people and 30% of them are going to be Mew, it's going to be 1,200 people and 30% of them are going to be Mew. Yeah, I, I I think I agree for sure. Like the meta is the meta and it's just a larger sample size versus a smaller sample size. So if you have a deck that you feel like does really well against the expected meta, I don't think you should change your play between the two different tournaments. Um, maybe like mentally you have to prepare a little bit differently and like you think about things like, you know, I think at a 1200 person tournament, IDing in round uh, nine at a record of six uh what 611 is just not a great idea because you're making it way less likely that you're going to make top 8 uh, if your goal is to make top 8 that is yeah. um which i guess leads into our next question from at Pierce Adler on Twitter who asks the, what's the best deck for someone who needs a finish to get a world's invite and has not played a single game of the format. So there's definitely a few people that find themselves in this spot where they are just a few points away from getting a world's invite, but they haven't really played since the 2020 season. Uh, I think the, I think the answer is actually pretty easy. I think it's Whimsicott. I think Whimsicott is just the answer for that. Like the deck's straightforward. You get a couple crushing hammerheads. You can cheese anyone with the decks on Path to the Peaks against Muse. Mew, I think, is what have been my previous answer, but I think Whimsicott feels that void better um, yeah because Mew I think even though it's the hardest deck to play in the format I actually still think now that I played Urshifu I think Mew is harder to play than Urshifu still um, it's probably close but uh, because of how powerful the deck is it can kind of you can uh, kind of overcome your misplays with how just powerful the deck is but I think Whimsicott just it's Whimsicott's so solid right now I feel like Whimsicott has to be the answer because it's solid it's straightforward yeah and you've got so much cheese potential I feel like it's one of the biggest things the only thing you have to really learn with the deck is just when you should use your your v-star power and that's like the biggest thing but sometimes you just have to look at the board state and think about how the price trade breaks down and be like, okay I should v-star power this turn because otherwise I actually just will probably start to you know lose the price trade from there yeah, I think that this is kind of a weird question because I think normally in the past when people would ask me this question of like, what's the best deck to play for someone who doesn't play a lot but wants to get a world's invite? It would be like, well, if you want a world's invite, you should play more. <laughs> you should you should play the format. You should know the game. You should if if you want to go to play at the biggest competition of the world uh, of the whole year, you should be in the game and be knowing what happens. It's a little different now, though, because, you know, Adler, for example, the person who asked this question, is someone who's playing a good bit in the 2020 season, but then yeah. when, you know, everything happened, tournaments got canceled for the next two years, it's understandable that someone, you know, didn't play the game as much. So I think this is a little bit more unique of a situation to that. I would still encourage people to play the format a good bit and try to come to a decision based on what they find in their testing, just like you would have prepared previously. Um, I know that's obviously hard to do because it's like two years worth of the game that you're you're kind of missing out on. But I think if your goal is to play in Worlds um, and you're just kind of trying to get back into the swing of things, you need to play games now so that you can be ready for Worlds. Because yeah. if you, you know, say you just play a straightforward deck like Whimsicott, which I think is a good answer to this question as well, by the way. Like, it's straightforward and solid. Um so if you just play a deck like Whimsicott for this tournament, get your world's invite. You know, if you're someone who's like, you know, 50 points away or something like that, play the deck for this tournament, get your world's invite. And then you don't touch the game again until worlds. You're probably not going to do very good at worlds because you haven't been <laughs> practicing and testing. 
Um, so if you put in some time now and try to figure out, okay, I like this deck, I like the way it plays, you're going to be in a lot better position in, you know, four months whenever World's Time rolls around. Yep, you heard it here first, Adler. You will go 0-3 drop at Worlds if you don't start playing <laughs> more Pokemon. So if you're not going to commit to playing more Pokemon, play the Whimsicott Gear Invite, but then, you know, a month out from Worlds, you better start grinding or Chip, uh, <laughs> Chip's going to come after you. Uh, our next question comes from uh, uh, Ryan underscore Usyk. I think I got that right. Uh, what does the deck selection process look like leading up to events like this? Uh, any sleeper rogue picks that you think could do well? I don't have any sleeper rogue picks personally, but Chip, how do you usually pick a deck for a regional back when you used to play in regionals instead of a cast then? Yeah, it's... Uh, it, I love getting to cast these regionals, but it always does make me miss the competition. I do miss it quite a bit, being able to to play at events and like you know really test hard and try to figure out a deck that uh, is good for the event. And so, yeah, usually what... I would do whenever I was really testing hard, and I would imagine this is similar for your process as well, is like just theory and play a lot of games against what the expected best decks are with different ideas um, and try to learn what different unique things out there have good matchups against the top decks, what different strategies can do well against them, and try to... F you. I usually try to find a deck that isn't a top level deck that um can do well so like example recently would have been that arceus dark deck not a deck that i think was a top uh you know deck on most people's radars it was definitely a deck that existed but um you know i had worked on it a bit and thought it was solid and i felt like it had decent matchups against a lot of stuff so like decks like that are usually what i kind of lean towards picking but sometimes the best play for an event is just a good version like the best list of a top tier deck so yeah. You know, for this event, to me, it feels like Mew VMAX would be a pretty good play. So if I was playing in this event, I would be testing a lot of Mew VMAX against the Urshifu deck specifically and trying to see if I can get a really solid win percentage against that deck uh, with, you know, stuff like the One Marnie or the Ice Q. Like, I would test all of these <laughs> things and see how uh, how they work out and uh, usually just come – it just comes from playing games – testing a bunch and kind of going from there i don't know what do you what do you think is all yeah pretty similar try and come up with that that counter deck you know that can beat like the top two and then like squeak out wins against the rest of the meta based on um, your opponent not knowing what you're doing um, or the deck just being solid enough to do that um, or just like play a, a good list for a good deck um, that's kind of always how i've uh, thought about it as well just play a, yeah play a good list for a good deck and then uh, just whatever happens happens and try and at least be reasonably comfortable with the deck that you do end up end up choosing <clears throat> so our next question there's kind of two questions that are pretty similar uh one from alex wilson tcg who asks should one expect to hit two to three whimsicott in day one and then at birch harrison who asks what would be your best guess at the meta share of arc intel mew urshi and whims how many of each might you hit in nine rounds and it's always so hard to predict stuff like this, especially in a format like this where there's a pretty decent amount of different decks out there. Um, yeah, I remember back at Collinsville Regionals a few years ago, uh, in day one, uh, nine rounds, I played against nine different decks in day one. Now, this was an expanded tournament. That's way more likely to happen in expanded because there's a lot more decks out there. And then in day two, I played five rounds and played against... Uh, 
uh, three different decks. So like uh, in in a fourteen round tournament, I played against uh, twelve different decks, which is a lot. So that that is really what can happen at events like this. I don't think you ever expect to hit three copies of the same deck in one day. Like it'll happen you. sometimes. Yeah, like you'll hit the best deck in the room three times in one day sometimes, but there's really just such a wide level of variance when it comes to what your matchups are going to look like in a, in a given day. Yeah, I definitely want to worry about like hitting three Whimsicott in day one. Maybe one, like one you could maybe. Yeah, I agree with that. It does seem to be trending that way. And I mean, we hyped it up a little bit on this as well. Maybe it'll sway some people's minds as well. Um, so yeah, Whimsicott, maybe one uh, in, in day one and then maybe two. If it does really well, you could even hit up to three into day two because day two will also be six rounds. So there's going to be an extra round yeah, yeah. On, on the end of that as well. So Whimsicott, I would say one in day one, which is what you should probably expect. Um, but two to three, definitely not. It's going to be a solid deck. And uh, I think a lot of people are considering it now. And there seems to be a lot of hype behind it right now. But then uh, as far as like the other meta share of Arc Intel, Mew, Urshi, Whims, I, mean, I think Mew will be the most popular deck. And then Arc Intel, I think Arc Intel, Maltrace, there's so many different ways to play that deck, though. Will be the the most popular Arceus deck, followed by Arceus Straightwater Inteleon, and then it'll be like all the other Arceus Inteleon different things under there. It's just so hard to like categorize Arceus in general, yeah. unless you're saying just Arceus Inteleon. That might be more popular than you, to be honest. Overall, I could see that. And then Urshi Whims will be decks that exist, but maybe hit one to none of those in in nine rounds, uh, very reasonably. And the last question we're taking for the episode today comes from at PP Circuit on Twitter, who asks, what decks are going to face in the finals, in your opinion? And then is Manaphy going to be a must-play tech in some decks? So we talked about Manaphy specifically in Arceus, and then a little bit in, like, Rapid Strike Malamar. Is Manaphy yeah. a card that, like, most decks should consider playing, uh, with Urshifu just having been so dominant at EUIC? And I liked this question a lot. The what decks are going to face in the finals, in your opinion? What are your thoughts, Azul, on those two things? Um, I think Manaphy, no. Like, you're not going to play it in Whimsicott. You're not going to play it in Mew. I think it goes in most Arceus builds. If Dunsparce isn't better and you only want to play one of the two techs, so that's something that has to be tested out. I, I don't have, like, a an opinion on that too much yet, to be honest. They're both seem they're both good against Urshifu, which is better. I don't know. Hoopa V is also like almost a must include. I feel like in most Arceus decks, if you're running dark stuff, like you're already including that. So which one of those combos better with the Hoopa V is almost the question. And then in the finals, I think there'll be an Urshifu. I think Urshifu is a pretty safe guess to predict one of those being in the finals because a lot of great players are probably going to bring that. Uh, and then the other pick, I mean, Mu VMAX feels like it's a little bit overdue, but if none of the good players are going to pick it up, it's going to be a kind of a struggle for it to get there. So I want to say, I want to say that, uh, Mew is due in the finals, but it feels like it's going to have a, a tough road to get there when none of the none of the better players in the game are actually choosing to play it. So Urshifu for sure, but I'm not sure about what else. What do you think? I think that we could see a situation where this is the time that a lot of good players pick up Mew, where they feel like now is the chance for it to make a deep run, and now is the time where it's like... I feel like this tournament is where it's been... I, I feel like this is the best position it's been in in the meta um, since... The, for this entire format, you know, since Brisbane yeah. Regionals, pretty much, um, and obviously it ended up winning that tournament. So, I'm my bold prediction for the event: Mew Mirror Match <laughs> in the finals. Let's see it. It's gonna happen. 
here we go. They gotta deal with they gotta deal with Whimsicott now though, which is yeah, a terrible but I matchup, think oh, but... and something we didn't talk about, which I think we should have mentioned when we were talking about Mew earlier, is I think you should definitely be playing at least oh, one yeah. basic psychic energy in Mew right now, and I probably agree. training court as well. Probably one training court, um, mm-hmm. in order to like recycle that one piece. And I think if you have those two cards. Your Whimsicott matchup is really not that bad because you just one shot it. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. So, uh, if you have the basic psychic energy and then like a couple of fog crystals to find it, and then also training court, uh, to get it back potentially if it gets hammered, I think that your Whimsicott matchup is just fine. Yeah. Then at that point, path becomes your biggest enemy. But for a long time, that's not even been that big of a struggle for Mew. It fits pretty well into being, it already deals with that pretty well and will continue to be, uh, Okay, against it, I think, for sure. And um, last thing, our top three picks for the event. I'll go first, Chip. Uh, I would definitely be uh, the Arceus B-Barrel deck. That's just definitely one, probably my favorite deck to still play, especially as, as far as Arceus decks go. And then, of course, Mew, uh, probably my front runner right now for a pick for the event. And then the Urshifu deck I like a lot. I haven't played as much with it as I would like to have to, be, to pick it to go into the event, but I like it a lot. And it feels like every time I play it, even though I feel like I don't have the most experience with it, and there's like a lot to think about with the deck, you there's you just always have an out for like every situation. There's a route to take to give yourself a chance to uh, to win. Um, so Chip, if you were playing instead of casting, yeah, I think my pick? number one right now is definitely Mew. I think Mew is very good. I think this is Mew's best opportunity that it's had in a long time to make a deep run. I think like we're at an all-time low of the Arceus decks playing the heavy path, heavy Marnie, and stuff like that. Um, not really seeing any judges and stuff like that out there right now. Uh, so as long as you feel good and confident in your Whimsicott matchup and the... Uh, Urshifu matchup, which obviously isn't really an Urshifu matchup. It's like a Galarian Moltres matchup. So as long as you feel confident in those two things, I think Mew is a great play this weekend. Definitely would probably be my top choice if I was playing. Um, I have not been playing that much because I've been traveling the last um, week and a half or so. So I haven't really gotten too many games in yet for this specific meta. Um, but yeah, Mew is definitely front runner for me. And number two, I think would probably be Arceus, but not the Bidoof dark deck, probably Arceus Beedrill Flygon. Uh, after, you know, hearing kind of your thoughts with the Flygon being good against Urshifu, I really like that. I have really always enjoyed Beedrill. I think the deck has some consistency issues. It, I, it doesn't really play Bibarel or Intellion, which are the two best support partners usually to pair with Arceus. You're relying on Luminion which is a big liability. You've got a Ranguru, which is less powerful than the other stuff, um, but still okay. So I, I, I'm i a fan of that deck, and after watching it do decently in EUIC, I think that it could do well as well, and it's a lot of fun, so I think that would be another good deck to choose. And number three for me would probably be Whimsicott. I think Whimsicott is solid, but the thing that would stray me away from it is the fact that it is pretty straightforward there's not a lot you can do as far as like making plays with the deck you're kind of just playing what you draw into whereas something like urshifu uh you know is very skill-based in you know your decision making and there's a lot of room for you to make plays and stuff where there's just not that much room in something like umzakat that's just reliant on what you're drawing yeah makes sense makes sense yeah yeah umzakat's still pretty solid as well i think but yeah not as much uh 
skill expression from that one and you're gonna see stuff like the water energy and the urshifu decks and the muse yep. playing the basic psychic like yep. and those are like little easy texts to yep. increase their odds in the matchup but i don't think that like pushes whimsicott out of the meta it's just uh it's gonna be a little bit tougher for whimsicott less of a surprise factor this time around and uh with those picks that's gonna do it for our i don't know what number we're on eight uh, eighth episode of uncommon energy we'll be back as always every tuesday at 7 a.m eastern um, so thanks you all for for watching uh, and if you're watching on youtube comment like subscribe let us know what you thought um how are you guys preparing and getting ready for the upcoming regionals uh, of course yeah follow us on twitter as well like i said if you guys want to get on these q a's uncommon underscore energy over on the twitter um appreciate it as always appreciate the continued support chip Thanks, guys. Appreciate everyone watching. Thanks for the love. You can catch us every Tuesday morning at 7 a.m. Eastern time. Thank you so much for the love and support. This is our longest episode by far. So if you enjoyed, please be sure to leave a like on the YouTube video or leave us a rating over on whatever podcasting platform you're listening to us on. Thanks so much. We'll see you guys in Indy. Good luck to everyone playing in Indianapolis, Joinville, or Bilbo this weekend. That's going to do it for us. We'll get out of here. Peace.